Uh, making a, a, a quick transition here, if you guys could put this slide up for the, uh, the big one, for the greatest story ever told. We are moving through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation in three months, okay? Uh, we're going to spend just 15 weeks going through the whole Bible, giving you an overview of the whole Bible. And so you can see it begins with creation, it ends with new creation. Um, and uh, along the way, there are several little snapshots that we're going to look at. Uh, next week, we'll wrap up the book of Genesis. Some of you are like, you're going to spend 15 weeks, and you're going to spend five of them in Genesis. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the reality is that Genesis is probably the most important book in your Bible for helping to set the entire story in its, in its place and for you to understand the rest of it. So, uh, so yeah, five weeks in Genesis and then 10 weeks in the rest of the Bible. But um, our goals in this study uh, that I'm calling the greatest story ever told are three. And they are, number one, to give you an overview of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation and show you how it all fits together. Number two to show you how Jesus is the main character and connected to every part of your Bible. And number three, to help us all to know, love, and obey Jesus more and better than we did when we started. Okay? Now, those are not exclusive to just this study, but those are our goals. Um, along the way here... At this point in our study, here's what we've seen. We've seen how humanity fell into sin. We've seen that God justly judges sin and how God brings redemption and rescue from his judgment even as he brings that judgment. And we've been accomplishing our three goals. And today what we're going to do is worship our way through the story of Abraham. So if you put the next slide up. Yeah, this is... This is our slide for Abraham, and you can see a guy out looking at the stars. I know some of you were out looking at the stars last night with the Percy meteor shower going on, um, but this is Abraham out looking at the stars, and it, the, his story begins in Genesis chapter 12. And so as you make your way there, let me tell you, either for the first time or to remind you that Abraham is vitally important. To the rest of Scripture. It is through Abraham and his descendants that we receive the Scriptures themselves, that we receive God's covenant promises. It is from his bloodline uh, that the Messiah himself came. And as we'll see, according to the Scriptures, there's a very real sense in which every person who believes in Jesus becomes a child of Abraham. So, we therefore need to know at least the high points of his story to understand a lot of the rest of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to stand and follow along as I read the first part of Abraham's story from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, this is what the Word of God says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are the God who chooses and calls and brings to salvation uh, all those whom you love, all those who put their faith in the, in the Son of Abraham, who is the fulfillment of promises. People from every tribe and nation have been blessed through the Son of Abraham who was born, who is also your Son. And Father, uh, I pray this morning as we open up your word, that you would help us to see wonderful things in it and to be changed by it. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Please be seated. All right. Now, in these three verses, there is a whole sermon's worth of stuff to unpack. Uh, but keep in mind, uh, our goals are to give you an overview. So we're just going to hit the high points here, okay? Uh, first, you'll notice that Abraham is nowhere mentioned. I told you this is Abraham's story, but the word Abraham does not appear in those verses. Some of you are going, what's up with that? There's this guy named Abram. He's in here, but Abraham's not there. Uh, and that is because, even though it's the same man, he is not yet called Abraham. He won't be called uh, Abraham even in the next section that we look at, in chapter 15. Uh, he's not called Abraham until chapter 17, nearly 15 years after God's initial call to him in chapter 12. And the second thing I want you to see is this. Uh, look at all the variations on the word bless that appear here. There are five different forms of that word that appear um, in just three verses. So you get bless, blessing, blessed, right? Five different times. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed, right? Five different times in three verses. That ought to make that ought to clue us in as to the point that God is trying to make to this man, Abram. And third, notice who is doing the blessing. It's God who takes the initiative here. God is the one who speaks to Abram. It's God who commands him to go to the land. And it's God who promises that all the blessings that we see are going to come true. He's going to have a great nation. He's going to have a great name. He's going to have a great blessing on him. And great blessing is going to come through him to all nations. And that's important. Because what we skipped over in chapter 10 and 11 is the fact that after Noah and his family left the ark, they had a bunch of descendants, right? In fact, all the nations of the earth descend from one of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, or Japheth, right? And you get this whole long listing of all these nations, and you also, found, there's this whole story called the Tower of Babel that tells how all the languages of the world came to be. Now, telling that story is beyond the scope of what I'm going to do today, but here's what you need to know, that God... Uh, created all of the nations and languages of the world. And you need to see that having done that in judgment because of the Tower of Babel, God still has a heart to bless all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world. And He's going to do it through the family of one particular man through whom he's going to create his own specific nation. right? But the blessing on that nation is not just for him, not just for his family, not just for the nation that comes from him. It is for all the families of the earth. Through you, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So. What, what God is telling Abram here is this. You remember that promise that I made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3? Verse 15 where he says, To you, uh, he tells Eve, there will be a seed of, a, of the woman who will be born and he will be the one who deals with the serpent. He's telling Abram that promise is going to be fulfilled for the blessing of all nations through you. To Eve, to Noah, his sons. Now, God is keeping his promise to the seed of the woman. And we're getting a hint of something that we made explicit later on. It's through Abram's family that the promise of redemption is going to be kept. And so what we see is that God chose him and blessed him 
but with a much wider purpose than just little fellow, uh, former uh, moon god worshiper from Ur of the Chaldeans, right? Has come to faith in the living God and God is going to use that guy with a big, wide purpose. That through him would come the blessings to all the nations that spread out over the earth. And then uh, I want to skip over here in Genesis over to chapter 15. The God's covenant with Abram. Now this is several years later. Uh, Abram is an old man at this point. I mean, he was already an old man. He was 75 years old when God spoke to him in chapter 12. Uh, he was not a spring chicken. Amen? Uh, but this is several years later. He has no children. He has a wife that he's been married to for many years at this point. She has had no children. She's also an old lady. She is postmenopausal by a while. And uh, and he is an old man. They have no kids. And so Abram is thinking, you know, you said you're going to make me a great nation, but I don't have any kids. I don't see how this is going to work. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the servant I like the most, Eliezer, and I'm going to make him my heir. So this is where the story picks up here in chapter 4, verse 15, of, of, of chapter Verse 4 of chapter 15, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, meaning who this man is, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, and here's the scene in your slide. Look toward heaven and number the stars. And if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. You know, my, my understanding is is that um, the visible number of stars is into the millions. Um, can, can you count that high? No, you cannot. But on a clear night out in the desert, particularly at a time like Abrams where there were no electric lights, there was no, there was no light pollution from cities, right? There were barely any cities in the way that we would recognize them today. But I can tell you this. On a clear night, you can go out in the desert and you can look up and you can see far more stars than what you can see in Chillicothe. And you can see more in Chillicothe than you can in Chicago for sure, right? But you can go out on a clear night. Karen and I did this years ago. We had some, some dear friends who lived in the little town of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Okay, yes, that is a real place. We have really been. And there was a lake not too far from there. And he had a, my buddy had a boat at that time, youth pastor. He had this boat. And we went out, and it was just black dark in the middle of this lake. We're laying up, at, laying on the floor of the boat, looking up. And you can literally watch the satellites go by. Uh, incidentally, ours go one direction, Russian satellites go the other. <laughs> okay, but you can see all these stars, you can see shooting stars, you can see, you can see things that you have never imagined, right? So picture Abram, he's out, in the, he's out, he's out in Haran, in the desert where, and God says, go outside your tent, look to the stars. I mean, by this time, he's out of Canaan, Aaron. Look at the stars. Count how many there are. Abram. Let's see. One. <laughs> two. 
uh, 2,000, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't count them all, right? Million. He says, God is saying to him, look, you're going to have millions of descendants and the heir you're going to get is not going to be some adopted heir like Eliezer. You're going to get an heir who will be your very own son. Abram does not know how this is going to work. Uh, we don't have time, in fact, to look at the rest of the chapter, but if you were to continue to read, what you would see is that God tells Abram to make a covenant sacrifice. Okay? In fact, it's interesting the way this worked in the ancient world. The word to make a covenant is actually not the word make like we would use. It's the word cut. You cut a covenant. And the reason for that was this, is that the way that they made covenants was they would take these animals and they would take an, an axe or a knife and split them in half down the middle. Like if you've seen a side of beef hanging, okay, they would just split the animal right down the middle and they would lay the pieces, one on, side, on this side, one on this side, and then the people who made the covenant would walk between the pieces. Okay. Now this is how the covenant worked. What you were doing as you walked between the pieces is saying to the person you were making the covenant with, the person you had cut your covenant with, if I break what I have promised you, may it be done to me what we have done to these animals. Okay? Uh, this is not uh, you know, shake on this. <laughs> okay? This is, you have the right to take my life if I do not hold up my end of this deal. Now, how many of you would enter into a contract like that? Okay? That, hey, if my finances change, uh, you know, and I can't make my car payment, even though I have covenanted to do that, you get to come and, you know, and split me in half like a side of beef if I don't hold up my end, okay? I can tell you this, there'd be a lot fewer car sales, right? <laughs> at, least on, at least on any kind of financed payment on time uh, terms, right? You would pay cash or not at all if that was the, the potential conclusion, right? But Abram makes this sacrifice. And then it's interesting. God puts Abram to sleep. And he gives him a vision of himself appearing as a fire pot passing between the pieces. Because what is God saying? He's saying, Abram, we're not peers. I'm making a covenant with you and I'm the only one who is going to be held to the term. This is an, a permanent, unilateral, irrevocable covenant that I'm making with you, and this is going to happen. You are going to have this blessing. You are going to have me bless you in the way that I have said, and you're going to get descendants as numerous as the visible stars. Showing us, in other words, this chapter, two important things, that God's covenant is not dependent on our faithfulness to Him, but on His faithfulness in keeping His Word. And God is showing Him and showing us that God will always keep His Word even if we aren't completely faithful to Him. And by the way, that is wonderfully comforting to me. Right? How many of you, raise your hand, because I would like to introduce get introduced to you, if you have been 100% faithful to obey God in every area and every day and every part of your life. Raise your hand. I'm looking, right? I don't see anybody who would admit to that because none of us are 100% faithful to God, right? But is God 100% faithful to you and me? Yes. Will He always keep His promises to you? Yes. 
And it's because of that that we can um, that we can enjoy and celebrate and relax in, in fact, be at peace with God because we know He's always going to hold up His end, right? And the other thing that this passage shows us, look at verse 6. What's the way to receive God's promise? Two words, really important. By faith. By faith. Abram believed God. He hadn't even gotten a name change yet. Right? He believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. More on that in a few minutes. But for right now, let's skip ahead again to chapter 22. Chapter 22 is probably the most famous story uh, of Abraham's life. It's my favorite story. It's the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to us, but I am going to tell you the story. A few years after... Abram's encounter with God in chapter 15, God has, God renamed Abram. Now, Abram means exalted father. And it's a reference to his dad. Like, you have a... Can you imagine dads naming your, naming your son? Uh, your dad is great. <laughs> okay? But that's the name that Abram has. You have, a, you have an awesome dad. <laughs> okay. Um, he gets a different name. God gives him the name Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Father of a multitude. God also changed the name of his wife, Sarai. Sarai is not a Hebrew name, um, it is connected to a pagan god from their time when they lived in Ur. God gives her a new name. He calls her Sarah, which means princess in Hebrew. In addition, God gives this old couple a miracle baby. When I say miracle baby, I don't mean like, uh, you know, we had a child after many years of trying and, you know, something just, just clicked in the right way at the right time. No, I mean miracle baby like this. He's a hundred years old, and his wife is ninety. And when God tells her you're going to have a baby, she laughs. She's like, "Lord, let me. I need to explain. You know, maybe you didn't take this class when you were in high school, but biology works in a certain way, right? And ninety-year-old women do not have newborns. That's not how this works." Right? And, and yet, here she is. And can you just imagine this? Like here she is, like, hodling after her newborn with her walker. Right? <laughs> Think about this. Right? But she, she, she laughs when God tells her you're going to have a baby. And then she does. And so God tells her, because he always laughs last, to name the child Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> right? Because God is in on the joke, right? He knows it's ridiculous that two people who should be living in a nursing home have a newborn, right? But years later now, Abram is, Abraham is into his hundreds. And the boy is about junior high age. And God comes to him one day and He says, I want you to take your boy, your only son, whom you love, the one through whom I have made you all these promises that you're going to have descendants like stars in the sky. I want you to take that boy and go to Mount Moriah and kill him there on an altar. I know what you're thinking. And I have to think Abraham was thinking the same thing. God, you cannot do it. 
But the next day, Abraham grabs two servants and some firewood, and they get a torch. Abraham takes a knife and the boy, and they go to Mount Moriah. And he tells his servants, he says, the boy and I are going over to sacrifice over on that hill over there, and we're going to come back, both of us. Both of you? Sure about that? But that's what he tells the servants, and off they go. As they're walking, Isaac's carrying the wood on his shoulder. Abram's got the torch, knife, and, uh, you know, Isaac's a pretty sharp kid, so he's like, So, Dad, been wondering, you know, we made it all this way. We uh, we left the servants. We got fire. We got the wood, and you got the knife. Where's the lamb? You got and Abraham says, God Himself will provide the lamb, my son. Isaac's like, all right, whatever. I mean, the old man has had to trust the Lord all this time, so surely he knows what's up. But when they get there, Abraham makes an altar, puts the wood on it, and then he turns to his son and ties his hands and feet and lays him on the altar. Now this is crazy, right? You cannot make a great nation of this boy if he is dead. But Abraham, the book of Hebrews tells us, reasoned that God could raise the dead. He's thinking like this, in other words. Well, God told me this is the boy through whom the great nation is going to come. God also told me to kill the boy on this mountain, on this altar. So, Hence, there must be a way God is going to bring this boy back from the dead. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust God. And so, just as he is about to stick the knife in his son, God speaks to him. And he tells him, do not lay a hand on the boy. He says, there's, a, lamb, there's a, a, a ram in the thicket nearby. Take the lamb and sacrifice it instead. This is, for my money, the most gripping part of Abraham's story. But let me fill in a few more details. Because this story is a living picture of how God is going to fulfill the promise to Abraham of the blessing to all nations. You might not know this, but the mountain that is called Moriah here is going to be known later by another name. It's going to be called Mount Zion. And on it is going to be built a city, and on top of this hill is going to be built a temple where the sacrifice is going to be made. This hill, Moriah, is going to be the place where Jesus is going to die. He is going to be the beloved Son carrying on His shoulders the wood on which He Himself will be sacrificed, carrying out the command of God. But Jesus is better than Isaac. Even though, in a way, Abraham did sacrifice his son because he was willing to put him to death, in Jesus' case, what happened? The father actually put him to death. Because he was not substituted for a lamb, he was the lamb who was our Amen? He is the one who died that all of us could have life as God's children. And because 
God raised Jesus from a real death, we who deserve to die for our own sins are freed from them and raised a new life too. And it's by Jesus' sacrifice on this same mountain that the blessing to all nations promised Abraham comes through. Okay? Now flip over, if you will, to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. Now, this is not the only place that talks about Abraham and his faith. Uh, in your New Testament, there are several other places, uh, the book of Acts, uh, the book of Romans. In fact, the book of Romans has a lot to say about Abraham. Um, but there are a bunch of other references that I could point you to that we won't get into, but there are a few for you to look at. Okay, first one is in, uh, well, the one we're going to look at today is in Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so if you get to your New Testament, you have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you have the book of Acts, which is about how the church got started. Then you have Romans, and then you have First and Second Corinthians, and then you have four. Okay, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, right? Or, as I learned it, Gentiles eat pork chops, right? That's how you remember the order they're in, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> okay. But the first one, Galatians, has a long section about Abraham in it in chapter 3. I want to look at verses 7 through 9 first. Know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying... Now, where was this? This is chapter 12. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Chapter 12, verse 3. In other words, Paul says that when, when God was making that promise to Abraham, or the then named Abram, that in you all the nations will be blessed, that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. That it was through him would come the Messiah that was promised in Genesis 3. Verse 9 So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, in other words, uh, Abraham was looking forward to the Messiah who would come. Who are we? We are the people who look back on the Messiah who came through Abraham. And we put our trust in the same person Abraham did. And when you put your faith in Jesus, the son of Abraham, you are putting, you are exercising the same faith Abraham had. And you are receiving the same kind of salvation, the same kind of blessing that he was promised and given. Now, look a few verses later in the same chapter, um, verses 26 to 29. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one. In Christ Jesus. For if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, there's probably a couple good sermons, at least, in both sets of these verses. But let me explain here briefly. The Galatians are the first church that Paul planted. Paul went out on these missionary journeys from the church in Antioch in Syria and he went up into this area in what is now uh, western Turkey. And the Galatians were the first church that he uh, planted there, and he's telling these brand new Christians, who are mostly Gentiles, by the way, that they have entered into relationship with God the same way Abraham did, by faith in God's promise of Messiah. And just as he believed God and received God's righteousness as a result, so we who believe in Christ 
who is the fulfillment of God's promised blessing to the nations, get God's righteousness in return. Now, look at, um, look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. Remember when I said one of the effects of the fall was division between people? And that, that people as they spread out over the earth would start to divide and be in competition and try to dominate each other? And there'd be competition, male and female, and also between nations and so forth? Look at what Paul's saying. What does Jesus do? By faith, He tears down all of the division that we create between male and female, between Jew and Gentile, even between slave and free. That Jesus tears down the dividing wall. Jesus is the reversal of the curse a reversal of the effects of sin on humanity and our relationships with each other, right? And in addition to that, what Paul is saying here is when we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of Abraham's family. When God took him outside, in other words, what Paul is saying is this, when God took him outside and said, look at the stars, see if you can count them all, Guess what you are? You are part of the stars that Abraham was supposed to count. You are part of his family. You become part of his family because it is through Abraham that the blessing to all nations came. We are part of all the nations. And every person who put their faith in Jesus who was promised to Abraham enter into not only Abraham's family, but God's family. We are part of the blessing. In fact, let me show you one more thing. It's not on your outline, but I just want to show it to you because it's awesome. Okay? Uh, turn in your Bible all the way to the end of the book. To the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Okay? Now, as you're flipping there, remember, right before Abram comes on the scene, you get all these nations and all these languages that get formed because of the Tower of Babel, right? And then God comes and He's going to create a particular nation. And through that, through that man, through the founding of that nation, is going to come the blessing to all the nations, right? Revelation chapter 7, beginning verse 9. This is what the Word of God says. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, all the ethne, all the people groups that there are, all the languages. Where did the languages come from? Tower of Babel, right? People of every nation, language, people, tribe, standing before the throne and before the Lamb with clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abram of a blessing to all the nations of the world. You feel me? Is this all making sense? That Jesus Christ is the blessing that God was promised and this is what it looks like. That all the nations of the world 
have people who come to worship the child of Abraham, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They are all gathered around His throne because He is the Lamb who was crucified in our place. This weaves together the whole Bible, in other words. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of how the blessing of Abraham came to all the nations of the world such that people from every tribe and language and people group and nation all will gather around the throne to worship the one whom God promised. And if this is how things are going to be in heaven in the end, how should we respond to God's word today in the here and now? Let me suggest three things. Number one, if you are not yet a Christian, you're not yet a Christian, if you are not yet a person who has put his or her trust in the child of Abraham who came according to God's promise, who died as the lamb in your place, today is the day. God's promises were kept from ancient times. God promised a deliverer as soon as we needed one in the garden. God told Abraham that through him would come the blessing to all nations. God kept those promises. He sent Jesus, the generations later son of Abraham, through faith in whose death on the cross we all receive new life and forgiveness and membership in both Abraham's family and God's family. And through His resurrection, we also receive the resurrection from the dead because He is the Lamb whom God sacrificed in our place. And God has provided the Lamb for you and for me, just as He promised. So accept His sacrifice so that you are not put to death, but instead have eternal life. Amen? you haven't believed in Jesus, today is the day. You're not promised tomorrow. You know, our, our longtime friend of Chili Bible, and of many of us, Jude O'Donnell, you know what happened just before he passed away and went to glory? He went out to mow grass and took a shower and laid down and took a nap wasn't a big day. But he never woke up from that nap in this life. He opened his eyes in glory. And do you know what he saw? He saw the lamb seated on the throne. He saw the elders and the angels. And one day he will see all these people from every tribe and language and nation. Every people group gathered around the throne. And the question for you, if you don't yet know Jesus, is will you do that? Or will you stand before a different throne where God announces His judgment and tells you, depart from me, you of iniquity, into the flame of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because not everybody goes to heaven. I don't know what someone may have told you, but the, the fact is, it is not true that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. What is true is that there are, there are no good people. There's only bad people in Jesus. And if you would like to not be a bad person anymore, you come to put your faith in Jesus. And then He takes you to heaven. But otherwise, you go to hell. And Jesus was forever more serious about the reality of that place and about the fact that you do not want to go there.
So if you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, today is the day that by faith you might put your trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life, to be the lamb who dies for you. Just like Isaac had a lamb who died for him. Secondly, if you know Christ, remember that God keeps His promises. God keeps 100% of all His promises. 100%. And that's important to remember because of this. Life can beat you down. Amen? In fact, I think sometimes the reason that, that some people get grumpy as they get older is life has just beat them down. Right? And it's hard to focus on anything else. And we can start living like all there is to life is just another day at this job and another mortgage payment, another car payment, the next routine thing I have to do. Right? But here's the reality. If you are a person who knows Jesus Christ, then life is an exciting journey with God where we are living for Him and with Him and we see Him keep His promises to us as He is taking us on a long journey to a land that we have never seen. But which God has promised to give us one day. God says, come with me and I will take you to a place that you've never been. But in order to go, you got to believe His Word, right? And the same thing is true with us. God is taking us on a journey to a land we have never been. And it is an exciting journey because we don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there. Amen? But we do know that the God who keeps His promises is going to be with us on every single one of those days. So lift your eyes from the routine to the Lord who has you on this trip. Amen? You know Jesus Christ. Remember that God blesses those whom He loves so that they can be a blessing to other people. Right? And it's true not just of Abram, but of us. Uh, Abraham's covenant with God and blessing from God was never intended just for him. Abraham was blessed so that, in fact the scripture says it exactly this way, so that he might be a blessing. That the blessing might flow through him to all the nations of the world. And did you know that if you are a Christ follower, that God calls you to exactly the same thing? He has blessed you. He has made a covenant with you in Christ. But if that is true of you, that covenant is not for you alone. It's not simply about you. Right? It is so that you and I can be a blessing and spread the blessings of Christ to all of the nations of the world. So let me ask this question as we close. What are you doing with the blessings that God has given you? By all means, enjoy them, right? But you are meant to be a conduit, not a storage tank. Right? Um, we're not supposed to be a reservoir. We're supposed to be a pipe through which the blessings of God flow to all the people of the world. In fact, God calls us to things like this. He says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for eternity. That part of the people, in other words, gathered around the throne, should be there because of you. Because remember what our calling was? What did Jesus say? He said, go into all the world. Go into all the world. And 
make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything I commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's the point of that charm? Go take the blessing I've given you of knowing me and carry it to all the nations of the world, all the people groups, all the languages, all the tribes. He calls us, in other words, to make the most of the time we have, to make disciples of all nations, to carry the gospel to every person that we encounter, to baptize them and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded us, and so to help them to enter into God's blessing and His covenant. He calls us to be salt and light in a lost and dying world. He has blessed us to be a blessing to all the nations. So final question. Are you a blessing? Let's pray. God, our Father, we know that You did not call Abraham simply because You liked him or because he was wonderfully special, but You called him into relationship with You because you loved him and you wanted him to found a nation and through him to bring about salvation to all the nations. And Father, because you love us, you call us to the same task, to be a blessing to all the nations. Father, I pray that we would not shirk our responsibility, but we would that you have given to us to all the people and languages and nations and families of the earth. Father, we love you. Help us to love them. Help us to have your heart for them and to be conduits of your blessing to everyone we meet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.